Welcome to the Aptitude Podcast, the place to get positive about discipline so you can make parenting more enjoyable. Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Michael. And this is an exclusive Aptitude Podcast for parents, carers and professionals. On this episode, we explore why tantrums can feel so uncomfortable, even contagious, and why it can feel so hard to step out of a power struggle. We're going to help you focus on why tantrums can be healthy, what's developmentally normal, and how to curb your reactivity levels. So Michael, today we're going to kick off with tantrums and power struggles, which is an inevitable part of parenting a child of any age. And it it can be a pretty challenging edge to meet. So I thought we'd start off with a statement from a mum called Maggie. And she says, I understand that tantrums are normal for young kids, but I still find myself dreading them and getting annoyed when they go on for too long. Uh, I think that's that, that's echoed by me and I suspect echoed by every parent in, across the land. Uh, we always dread them. But I think it's really, really important to, to identify right at the outset uh, the fact that Maggie herself recognizes that, power, uh, that um, tantrums are actually normal. Um, and why are they normal? What's really happening is the question that we want to be asking here. And, uh, and they're normal because what, I- what is being experienced by the child is what we might call a sort of an emotional overspill. It's a tension, feeling level that spills over and releases and in, in, a partic- in a moment that may have nothing to do with the thing itself that the tantrum seems to be about. Hmm. So you're saying sort of like that, that release of feeling doesn't have to be connected to the apparent trigger. No, that's right. I mean, we can get caught up in the story, but I will come to that a little bit later. But for now, I think it's really essential just to to say that, that when we see a child having a tantrum, it is a healthy action. This is something healthy happening in the child. It's not something to be dreaded. It's not something to be avoided. It's a way, it's a child's ability to express a build-up of energy, a build-up of tension, a build-up of feeling in the system, in the body. And it's the way they know how to in the moment. Of course, that will change over time. They'll learn how to express those feelings differently over time. So we have to be mindful that this is a strategy that is available to them in this moment and that, that it will change in time. And it's our job to help them find a way to change them in time. So it's like an internal self-regulating like healing tool so it's a, it's a way of offloading stress and while it can look pretty messy to us i always think it's it's far better that that gets expressed than it than not because you that you know that stress is is better to you know move on out than stay stuck inside if you yeah, like absolutely it's, it's, you know, we can be seen as a, as a fairly unrefined communication tool. But mm. think about this. I mean, I, I guess I had tantrums when I was a small boy. And I'm guessing you did, Michelle, when you were a small girl. And everybody else listening to this would have had their own tantrums when they were young. 
I'm occasionally, occasionally have a tantrum, very, very, very occasionally, very rarely, but most of the time I've learned to regulate my feelings. I've learned to manage my feelings in a way that feels more appropriate and not to simply throw a screaming fit in front of the family. Um, <laughs> so I'm assuming that your children will do the same. They will learn in time. Mm. That's what happens. And, and it's often, um, it's often tantrums happen when children are pre-verbal as well. So it's, you know, they don't have the words to articulate how they're feeling. That can be massively frustrating. And, and um, you know, sometimes I think it's easy to think that the, that, that the tantrum is a reflection of our parenting, that, that you know, w- why would our child experience any stress when you create a really wonderful environment for them? But, like, you know, just tiny stresses, these, these accumulate, and they accumulate and accumulate until, you know, there is that little tipping point where the child has to offload, and that's really normal and really healthy and doesn't mean that you're not creating a wonderful enough environment or doesn't mean that you know you're contributing to your child's stress it's just that you know those little moments those are just part of normal life things that children have to meet and process and you know life is so extraordinarily rich and confusing when you're a small child and you can't communicate the way you know a mature adult could for example mm. And so I think tantrums are, you know, they're a sign of emotional immaturity and emotional discomfort. And, you know, that happens for adults as well. You know, even as adults, we we kind of fall into that little, you know, emotional discomfort. We might have a tantrum and it's like we know we're behaving in a way that we wouldn't ordinarily. We can slip into those sort of less mature ways of being. And what, one of the interesting things for me about impulse control is that research shows that parents have an unrealistic expectation of impulse control. So a lot of parents see their their two or three-year-old having a tantrum and they think that the child should be able to control their their impulses and their emotions by the age of two or three. But actually, impulse control doesn't come until three and a half, four years old. And that's only in some situations. You know, the brain doesn't fully develop until you're 25 years old so you know only in some situations can children you know have that sophisticated brain activity to control those feelings and I think that also ties into the fact that that you know you can't control your child's tantrum you can't manage your child's tantrum it's like it's like nature in action it's like trying to stop yes. the wind. It's like saying, can you please not be windy? Because that child's tantrum is uh, is an expression of, of their, their nature. And all we can do is respect it and see it as an amazing learning opportunity. Yeah, I think that's that's really key here. So having established the fact that tantrums are actually a healthy a healthy expression for the child. And let's be really clear, it's not exclusive for uh young children we we we, i've certainly witnessed tantrums amongst teenagers too so this is this is across the board here um but having recognized that this is a healthy expression and that children are learning to find ways to to express their emotions differently and more appropriately over time ultimately what a tantrum offers us is as, as you said michelle is a learning opportunity to how do we handle What's the best way of handling those kinds of situations? Um, so, and that comes, that brings us really to, to the next question, which comes from Scarlett. And she says, 
I've tried lots of different things to help my child when he has a tantrum. I offer cuddles and explain things to him, but it often just makes him angrier. Where am I going wrong? <laughs> Beautifully well-intentioned, of course. You know, see a child being so upset, you know, it's, it's almost, it, it's a natural impulse for us as a, as a parent to want to try and make it okay. And, but that's very often informed by our own need to deal with the very uncomfortable feelings that it might bring us up for us. Because if we're staying steady, if we're staying centered, if we're staying in control, then we can see that whatever's going on for the child is an, is an, an expression of insecurity. And when you say in control, you mean of your own, your, your, of your own emotions. Sure. So you're creating you know, a secure boundary and you're holding that space with steadiness. And then the child can feel safe in that. That's the opportunity for us to stay steady, to stay calm, and to stay loving and stay supportive. I and mean, we come, keep coming back to this, this essential element, if you like, in how we allow or give the space and the environment in which our children can grow. And that's the mood that we create, the space that we create, the level of openness, the level of control, the level of... Um, of love and support that we give there, we can then see the insecurity that's in the child. And what you know, what would we want to do when someone, when our own loved child is feeling insecure? What's the thing we most want to do? We want to make them feel more loved. Hmm. That's you know, that kind of comes quite naturally, it would seem. As long as we see that what's happening to them, there's nothing we can do directly. And and, and I guess if you see the tantrum as being a normal process then you know if you, if you watch tantrums and there's lots of great research about how long the average tantrum lasts mm. and 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 the emotions that the waves it moves through so there is a peak of anger you know and it's at that point that your your child does does not want you to talk to them they they don't want to accept a cuddle because they're so in their experience. They don't want us to interrupt them in that experience or distract them from that experience because it's so important that they move through that. And generally, the tantrum will move from anger into sadness. And kind of at the end of the sadness, that's when the child can open up and receive what we're able to offer. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of us or a lot of parents will want to kind of fix or help or or manage or change the tantrum so that it's more comfortable for the child when actually, you know, we're trying to change it for it to be more comfortable for us. And so rather than doing things and reasoning, which, you know, the, the brain can't in that moment when, mm. you're, when you're in a tantrum, you know, the, you know, the sophisticated upper brain, that's just gone offline. That's mm -hmm. not available so rather than doing something, the child is just inviting us to be, to just be present, loving, available, reassuring, comforting. And, you know, and the message is, I love you and I'm available. Lovely. And I, I think sometimes parents might be worried that the child has a tantrum and then the parent offers comfort. And it's like you're rewarding the behavior. What, what would you say about that? I think I think the I think the thing to recognize here is the tantrum will run its course. You know, no child will stay screaming and, and shouting 
endlessly. It will run its course. The feelings will move out, out of the body, will be expressed, and there'll be a quietening down and a need for, as you said, Michelle, there's a need for then the comforting and the holding of the child when they feel more kind of depleted, as it were. So comfort is simply the, 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 the reassurance and the holding of the child is simply an expression of love. You love them in what they are and who they are in this moment. It doesn't matter if they're expressing really, really difficult feelings. You love them nonetheless. So, it's, so you know, to, to look at it as rewarding bad behavior is, is to believe that actually the, the tantrum needs to be punished or... Or, or if it's not so far as being punishable, but you're considering the tantrum to be something bad or manipulative rather than just a very healthy, normal expression of feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And we are the message we're putting across as well as parents, if we hold them in a loving way, if we hold them in a non-interfering kind of way, if we hold ourselves knowing that it's okay and this will move on, this will pass, is that the child has permission to have these feelings. Hmm. You know, it's okay to have these really, really difficult, strong, irrational feelings. You know, we're not just simply seeking out or approving of the good feelings they have, but all kinds of feelings are okay. And that's that's part of the message. That's part what, part of what the children learn to understand in the process. So, you know, it is a uniquely, it's a unique opportunity to really stay steady and loving. And to do less and be more. Absolutely, absolutely. And before we go on to the next question, I just thought, you know, just a little bit of the science around this. Because while as a parent, our job is to stay loving like what's actually going on inside the child's brain. And so we all have a little part of our our lower brain, which is called the amygdala. And so the amygdala is really sensitive, like particularly sensitive in children to the flight or fight response. So that's why children have more tantrums than adults as well, because that part of their brain can be more easily triggered into thinking that there is a situation that they need to respond to. And so... When the amygdala gets gets triggered and, you know, there's a flood of hormones and so the brain activity leaves the sophisticated upper brain, which allows complex thinking and decision making and logical thought, and it moves down to the lower brain, which is much more primitive and instinctive. And, and it's there, you know, to, to keep us safe. And so the child, the child is making sense of what is safe and what isn't safe. And... Um, there's a great expression that's called the amygdala hijack. So you see your child having a tantrum. And of course, that can look quite alarming. So that in itself can trigger our amygdalas to think there's an unsafe situation. And so then we start to move into our flight or fight response. And so all of a sudden, you've got a really upset child, and then you've got an upset adult. And it's and that's why it's called the amygdala hijack. It's like it's contagious, like like you know, your child's brain is triggering your own brain into the same behaviours. And that's why staying really aware and recognising that your child's tantrum is not something to be feared. It's It doesn't necessarily, it's not dangerous per se, 
but that it's healthy and normal, that helps us remain in our upper brain, in our sophisticated brain, while the child is in their primitive brain. And um, our next question is from Andre, which is great. Great to have a man writing in. Uh, he says, sometimes my daughter will have a tantrum over what looks to me to be a ridiculous things. A couple of days ago, it was because her bowl had a tiny mark on it. Is this normal? What do you reckon, Michelle? Hmm, gosh, I, I, everybody can think, oh, yeah, I can think of a situation where my child was just really upset over the most innocuous thing. And um, it's, it's known as the broken biscuit syndrome. So, you know, you open the biscuit tin and there's one biscuit and the corner's broken off and you know that you're, you, you, you can offer that biscuit to your child and your child will just have a massive emotional meltdown. Now, of course, it's not the biscuit. Your child is using the biscuit as a vehicle for them to offload their tension. Now, it doesn't always have to be the biscuit. You know, it can be the mark on the bowl or it, it might be that there's, you know, a bit of mud in the wrong place on the welly. It, it can be anything. And sometimes you'll notice your children are deliberately seeking out reasons to be upset and sometimes that can just look so irrational to you or they might sort of goad you they'll you'll ask them not to do something and they'll, they'll just keep repeating it and you, you kind of feel like wow are they are they trying to make me angry or upset or something and the child is just really looking for for a vehicle something that will allow them to feel the upset and release the tension or a boundary that they can push up against and in pushing up against it they can release the tension. So looking for triggers, can you know, that can be really fascinating. Um, and also looking for patterns. And it's really interesting when you, if you look at the pattern of your child's tantrums and look at how your child behaves after a tantrum, most parents report that their child looks and feels calmer and softer and more at ease. Mm. And it's, you know, it's that, it's that softness and softness that comes after a big cry. So, so yeah, it's not that you're doing anything wrong by offering a broken biscuit. And it's not that there's anything wrong with your child that they're being upset about that. It is simply a way of finding a vehicle to release mm -hmm. tension. And that will often happen at the end of a really lovely day. Mm -hmm. So you, you'll go out, you'll have a fantastic time and you come home and your child will have a huge tantrum and you'll be like, what? Like, this makes no sense. We've just had an amazing day. You've had everything you've ever dreamed of, you know, and now you're having a tantrum. And of course, you know, amidst all of that wonderfulness of the really great day you've just had, there'll be lots of little moments of accumulated feeling. And, you know, at the end of a good day, when there's a good feeling, sometimes that's the time when you can offload all of the stuff that's not so comfortable. Or it might be just a case of just reached that point of overtiredness, over hungry. I mean, all sorts of kinds of triggers that the child will, will, will react to in that sense and, and, and throw a tantrum as, accordingly. Um, but one of the things that I, I think I've noticed that we do quite a lot as parents is when a child does throw a tantrum um, around, let's say, the broken biscuit, is that we get caught up in the story about of the biscuit. And that becomes the issue rather than seeing it 
it's the biscuit as 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 Michelle as you said that it's it's really an ex- it's it's an excuse if you like it's an unconscious excuse to release some of that tension that has been building up some of the upset that's been building up so don't get, let's not get caught up in the story the biscuit's not the issue it's mm. stay with the feeling state you know i think that's often very I would say good advice is listen to the feeling and connect with the feeling that's there rather than what's being said. Because what's being said is often very irrational. And I know when I get angry and I get irrational, the things I say can be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But the feeling is very, very clear. And uh, I can, you know, we can connect with the feeling and we can stay calm uh, within ourselves too. Mm, I love that. And that, That kind of brings us on to our next question, which is to do with power struggles. Um, And it's from Anaya. And she says, every night we get into a power struggle over teeth brushing. How do I stop this happening when we can't avoid brushing her teeth? Hmm. Interesting. So the the very idea of a power struggle, let's think about what that actually means. It looks to us like it's a power struggle because... It feels like one of us has to win and the other one, well, I, we have to get our way. We have to have power in the situation so we can get our way as parents. So um, take the teeth brushing situation. I have an idea and it's, very, it's a very uh, normal idea that brushing, the ch- my child brushing their teeth is a good thing. And I will want to ultimately enforce that because I want to make look after her health and I want to look after her teeth in particular. And that's really fine. But I've learned that over time, that this is important. Now, seen from the child's perspective, here you're asking the child to put something rather strange into her mouth, a toothbrush, and some strange tasting initially strange tasting substance called toothpaste into her mouth so seen from her perspective there's no sense no understanding of why they have to do this now that's not to say that in time they will understand and it will become one of their strong values looking after their health looking after their teeth but that's something they have to learn so when we come in with a with our reality well this is what this is why toothbrushing is important it has to make sense to the child as well. Mm. And we have to give her time for that to make sense. So how do we meet it? So it isn't the power struggle. You have to do this is the power struggle. No, I don't want to. It doesn't, doesn't feel very nice. Before we know it, we're, we're, you know, mm. I, I will possibly win and I will enforce my, 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 my toothbrush in her mouth and it will feel really horrible. There will be lots of upset. And nobody wins. That's the truth. Not really. No. No one wins. I feel horrible. She feels horrible. And the idea of brushing the teeth and the importance of brushing the teeth doesn't evolve. I, hasn't really changed. I, I think as well, like when we when we get caught up in a power struggle, it's often because we're a little bit caught up in the story or we're also feeling fearful. And so I think when there's something really important that you want your child to do, and if they're not doing it or learning it, what in our minds looks like quickly enough, we can go a little bit into our imaginations that, my gosh, if my child doesn't do this now or doesn't comply mm. now or doesn't learn to you know, value 
and brushing their teeth now, then we, we get this erroneous idea that they never will. Hmm. And that idea that if they don't learn now, they never will. And that like, creates so much anxiety and worry. And it, that fear will fuel us to be more, you know, power over hmm. because we get afraid. Absolutely. And so I, I, I mean, I love what you're saying that you have to see things from both perspectives because your child's experience will always be different to your own. And I think picking your battles wisely as well, you know, and like teeth brushing, that's not something you can just let go. But the, the moment it becomes a power struggle, there's essentially a divide. So you've got two people with different objectives. And so, you know, to have an end goal the same end goal and you've got different objectives it's never going to work so in any any situation like that like teeth brushing where it is essential that your child does learn to do that willingly and it becomes enjoyable is you have to you have to make that invitation for it to be collaborative so you have to be really connected even before the tooth brushing starts there has to be that relationship going on and i i love the word let's because it's it's so inviting. So it's like, let's brush our teeth together or let's put our shoes on. And then there's a lot of kind of momentum and energy in the word let's. It sounds so playful. So it's really an invitation to get really curious, like to enter into your child's world and to play and connect and find out what might be interesting about brushing our teeth what might we find or how might it feel and just being curious about your child's you know the sensations they're experiencing what if you brush my teeth and i brush yours and let's play with that you know Hmm. just the idea of playing with it yeah and and you know and sometimes children be really steadfast that they don't want to do something and so this is where you can really work with your child and work with their creativity so you might say to them okay so i would like you to brush your teeth because I, you know, I feel like it's really important for you, but I can see that right now you really don't want to do that. But we still need to make sure that your teeth are clean. So, have you got any ideas about how we could make your teeth clean? And then you're inviting your child to step into that situation and come up with their own solutions. And children love that. It's like, oh wow, they've, they've got to use their imagination, their creativity. They can be playful with it. And then if they come up with an idea, they are far more likely to own that idea and then want to implement their idea because it's theirs. It's not it's not come from anyone else. And so sometimes making invitations rather than telling and offering age appropriate choices, sometimes that can be really helpful. And but not not offering too many choices, because that can sometimes feel a bit overwhelming Um but yeah, constantly inviting in a really playful way and just knowing that a power struggle is is usually one or two people expressing a sense of powerlessness. And one of my favourite games, if you, if you have a child who's, who's showing a lot of that, who's sort of wanting to engage in power struggles a lot, there's a lovely game called the gateway game where if you've got a baby gate or if you've got a door somewhere, and you can you can play a game and your child will pick up really quickly what you're trying to do. And your child will be on one side and you're on the other. And you say to your child, oh, I so want to come through the gate. Please, please let me through. And your child will very quickly cotton on to the fact that they have the power. 
that they're the ones who controls whether you go in or out of that gate. And they will find it hilarious. They will absolutely love having power in that situation. And so if children are allowed to experience having power in a playful way, if they can play with it, and it's with you, you know, like the all-powerful parent as well, then it's just all the more fun and funny. So give them opportunity to experience that kind of autonomy and power in other situations. And then when it comes to situations where you really need to be connected and collaborative, it's more likely to happen. Mm, Lovely. So I hope that's been useful. Um, I think as a way of concluding, it would be really good just to have some the key salient points that we wanted to bring out in this podcast. The first one is that a tantrum is an internal self-regulating healing tool to process stress. Hmm. And it's an emotional overspill, often unconnected to the actions of the moment. And if we can see it as an expression of unverbalized feelings. So at this stage in their lives, it's an unrefined communication tool, which will in time become more refined. And it's an action to be regarded with respect and sensitivity for what it uniquely represents. And it's a very salient reminder of your child's emotional immaturity and emotional discomfort, which again will change. And it's a sign of lack of self-control, which invites us, the adults, to focus on this in ourselves. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to an exclusive Aptitude podcast. Be sure to tell your friends about our Aptitude and Happily memberships and we'd love you to catch our next episode so you can discover why praise and rewards are surprisingly counter-effective and what to do instead. <laughs>